unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Just a word before we start. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Okay, let's continue. All right, copywriters, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel, and a continuation from last week, we've got Kevin Rogers back on the air with us again, and what are we going to be talking about tonight, gentlemen? We're going to talk about comedy, and you know, there's one thing that's different about Kevin Rogers now than when he was a comic. Today, when he goes to Denny's or <laughs> McDonald's or he wants to really live high in the hog Starbucks, um, he never has to worry about the credit card clearing. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Is that true, Kevin? That's uh, 100% true. true. Yeah. You know, Dave, one, one of my favorite things uh, I, I say, because it's so true, is comics and copywriters are very similar, right? They're, they're funny, they're witty, they're dark. Uh, and uh, I say, you know, sitting around a, a dinner table with comics and copywriters is almost an identical experience, except with copywriters, you're in a way better restaurant. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. I like that. Uh, yeah. So let me um, remind the folks about you. You spent years traveling the country in your own words as a dead broke stand-up comedian. I think you did very well with it uh, from a career point of view, but not maybe money wise. You discovered a simple joke formula that could be used as a powerful marketing hook, began teaching it to marketers, um, developed into over about, of course, three or four years, top in demand, high earning, um, really legendary internet marketer. And now you're consulting and speaking. I don't think you're writing copy for people anymore, but. I I know you have copy chief and uh, we we talked about that last week. So Mm -hmm. we don't, we don't need to spend loads of time on that. Anything you want to say, of course is fine. Uh, But I'd like to find out about your background as a comedian and your transition and, and um, a little more about the uh, similarities and differences between copywriters and comics. Sure. Yeah. One of my favorite topics. Um, yeah. So the quick origin is that, you know, out of high school, actually dropped out of high school, um, was very restless and was detailing cars on a car lot. And I was like the awkward skinny kid in my group of friends who was, I found it very difficult to talk to girls. I uh, really enjoyed talking to pretty girls, but it, it was pretty awkward. <laughs> And, uh, but I could make them laugh and that felt really good. So it was my way of getting attention. Uh, and I, what was interesting, David was, I didn't know it then, but what I know now is uh, my analytical mind was also pretty sharp. And so 
I would not only, I was able to mimic the comics of the day, you know, that great Rodney Dangerfield special had just come out on HBO. And so we were all just discovering Sam Kennison and, and Bill Hicks and Jerry Seinfeld. And I could do their, their, their routines. I, I, I wore out the VCR just watching these things over and over. And so uh, my friends would have me and to be clear, of course, I never did anybody else's material on stage. But when you're just learning to be funny, that's where you start. And so we would, I was the guy at the party who could kill the kitchen doing uh, people's, you know, bits. And, and my friends would call them out, ah, do the Seinfeld, the, the hair in the shower thing, you know, do the thing. And what was interesting was I'd kill at one party, right? We'd go to another party and uh, yeah, I'd be like, I wouldn't do as well. <laughs> and and I would really I would obsess and analyze uh, on what what I what did I do different Oh, you know what I tried to follow that Kinnison thing with a Seinfeld thing, and you can't do that. Be- and so I, I was learning how to perform comedy and how it worked as I was discovering that I sort of had an innate ability to to pull off humor. Well, the real pros do that, don't they? I mean, they, they're definitely in a creative flow state when they're delivering stuff. But there's there's a lot of analytical thinking about what works, what can follow, what, you know, why do you why do you rest for three beats instead of one or four? Mm-hmm. And and and, you know, there I guess uh, comedians are constantly keeping track of exactly what worked and what didn't. And that's how they develop material for maybe an HBO or Netflix special or being on a, a light night show by going out into other clubs and trying material. And only when they find, you know, jokes, humor that, that consistently works, they'll, they'll knit that into a, a real tight little routine. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Right. A, a lot of the jokes come from, those late nights at the Denny's you mentioned, <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, there, there's a great moment that happens with comics when you're sitting around and you're riffing and something really funny happens. There'll be this moment where somebody goes, everybody realizes it's a bit and they go, okay, who, who gets it? Who, who, who started it? You know, it was like, you got it. And then sometimes it'll be unclear and you'll say, all right, you got three shots with it. If you can't make it work, it's mine. <laughs> and, yeah, it's so uh, absolutely. And, you know, the, the guys I really respect and, and women are the ones who are dedicated to writing that new hour every year. You know, Carlin, George Carlin famously was tasked with that because he had the deal with HBO to do a brand new special every year. And so he would spent his entire year building up that hour and then he'd burn it on the special and he would take like 10% of it and back on the road and like literally reading out of notebooks and, and just, I can't imagine the pressure of working out new ideas in front of, you know, a thousand or more people who paid good money to see you. Incredible dedication. Uh, so it, Louis CK does that as well. And, and Seinfeld does that. So those are the, those are the people that really earned my respect. Okay. Uh, I, I'd like to break down something that you said, because you say an hour of material in a year. And even if we've got some, Veteran copywriters here um, who, you know, may no copywriting. They say, well, is that like writing one VSL in a year? No, it's a lot more. It takes, you have to write a lot more than an hour's worth of material in order to end up with an hour's worth of material good enough for right. a special, right? 
Oh yeah. Well, <clears throat> you know, and I, I have a special uh, sympathy for this process because you know, exactly one year ago, I was in the thick of my journey back to the stage, uh, and this will be relevant, David. Um, uh, you know, I was away from comedy for ten years or more. Like literally hadn't been on stage performing it. And my friend Billy Gardell, who you might know from the Mike and Molly sitcom, uh, he's a great friend and we started out together and he was uh, working theaters. And I was at his house and he said, he was telling me that he was coming to St. Pete to work the Mahaffey Theater. And he said, uh, why don't you come open that show for me? It's just casually, like to him, it's like, why not? And I was like, oh man, I go, you know, you're out of your mind. Like I couldn't even open for you at the small club around the corner right now. Like, uh, I mean, it's been 10 years and I don't have time. So anyway, I ultimately took his challenge. And so I now had to come up with 30 new minutes over 60 days. And, and I didn't realize it was completely insane to take that on until it was over. And okay, I, I want to stop you because I want to ask you a question yeah. about those those sixty days. You remember when my mother passed away, and I decided I was going to do comedy. Maybe it was ten minutes of comedy um, at her memorial service, and then I had a lot of other people speak, and, and that was appropriate. I mean, we actually had the word humorous on her headstone. <laughs> it was a big part of, of awesome. her personality that she owned, and others loved about her, but. The point I'm making here is not that I've done comedy. The point is, I, I had a coach. We've talked about You remember, we were talking about this. I would write an hour a day, an hour a day, just to come up with maybe eight bit, eight jokes, nine jokes, right? I mean, how how much did you write in order to come up with that? What, what was your process? That, that sounds mm. like a cram course and, and high pressure and tight yeah. wire, high wire all at once. Yeah, it really was. Uh, well, I'll tell you, you and I had the same survival, uh, you know, safety net, which was a, a coach, right? I remember that you you hired a coach that, and you had to write, turn in all this material to them. Uh, and I had this very fortunate to have the same thing here in St. Pete, where I live. Where there's a great community of really talented comics, some of which who have been around a while and and have moved back here, and they have a workshop every Wednesday. And I still am a, a part. I was there last night, as a matter of fact. And uh, it's it, it was such a savior for me to say I got to show up at that workshop with a bunch of new ideas. And we do it like hot seats, David, just like we do in marketing. You know, S somebody jumps up for ten minutes, they read off the jokes, and we just all brainstorm punchlines. And it's a, it's a raucous good time. You're, you're not uh, you're not kicking everybody's ass and tearing them down like in an est seminar, right? I mean, it, it is somewhat positive. Well, yeah, we, we, we do, we consider it a safe space for sure. We've had people come in who weren't uh, of our ilk and quickly get ejected because they were just, had big egos or whatever. No, it's a very safe space, but we're not, we're still comics. We're busting balls and we're, you know, um, you know, you don't leave there wondering if something was funny or not, <laughs> uh, but, but, but it is our goal to help it get funny, even if it, Sometimes it's just like, we got to let this one go, guys, you know, but, but you know, we, we take on the challenge. But uh, so for me, I was, I'll tell you, the hard part was, uh, David, was getting through the suck again, you know? I mean, yeah. whatever ego I did have was attached to the fact that when I did this as a profession, I, I was good. You know, I was a good comic and I just didn't have any business sense to make a career out of it. But uh 
I, I could kill the room. That's what I prided myself on. And I guess that helped me coming back. But when I first, my first setback was in front of like seven other comics and it was painful, painful, bad, bad, bad. And I just sucked for the first, you know, 10 or 15 sets until it started to click a little. And I started to feel like myself again. And then the, the, the other challenge was because I had such a tight deadline, I had to start making that there was a there was a an apex where it was like okay i now i can't develop any new material and it was interesting because my writer's mind was like really in in high gear at that point i was starting to get even better ideas but i knew there was no way i could now introduce new material and get it polished up for that deadline so the, the one of the biggest challenges was i've got to take what i've got now and get on stage every possible chance I can and, and develop it. And uh, that was challenging. Good for you. I mean, I, I tell people anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at first. Of course, mm-hmm. the <laughs> problem is you had to do it poorly a second time because you were you, your <laughs> chops were weak, right? Yeah, yeah. And luckily the suck was happening in, in rooms of, you know, 10, 15 people. That was another challenge was I was having to work out in these very small rooms to to do a set in front of 2,000 people uh, in a theater. And I was going to get obviously no theater stage time to build up to that or anything like that. And uh, yeah, so I'll tell you a quick, one quick little inside thing and sort of the, 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 the structure of developing comedy, if you're interested, um, that that I learned that really helped and that I've I've since uh, taught is uh, I found a formula, David, that is critical to developing uh, comedy stand-up material. And it's, it's real simple. It's four P's it's persona, uh, premise, position, punchline. And the, the biggest part of that is the persona. You know, if you watch any stand-up comic, they, if you see it on Netflix and you go, I've never heard of this person, let's check it out. You're sitting there with your arms folded until they come out and establish their persona and you decide in that instant if you want to give them any time or not. Can you relate to this person? Who are they? Right? So I knew from from copywriting, even more from my previous stand-up experience, that I had to develop my persona and develop my new voice because I'm a completely different person than I was in my in my old career. Uh, and once I established my persona and chose who I'm going to be as a comic now, things started to fall into line a little, little bit better. I want to take a moment to point out how vitally important headlines are in copy. As you may already know, the strength of your headline accounts for up to 80 or even 90% of the effectiveness of your ad. Think about that. What if there were a way to shortcut the headline writing process and start a new headline based on a proven winner? Well, there is. It's all in my book called Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. This book is available now on Amazon.com. Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. What's unique about this book is it shows you exactly how to adapt a proven winner to your product or service because I show you 10 adaptations for each headline in different niches and explain the psychology of how to adapt a headline. Advertising headlines that make you rich in hard copy and Kindle formats on Amazon. Now, back to our show. Let me throw you a curveball. 
All right. I threw the curveball. So to throw the curveball, I'm using my right arm, and between my shoulder and my elbow is something called a humorous bone. <laughs> right. Everybody has a humorous bone, but not everybody's funny. Why is that? I think it's because people aren't in tune with themselves if they're not funny, right? I mean, some people are just bizarre and honestly seem to have no interest in humor or laughing. Or I mean, that's, that's something I don't understand at all. Um, then there's the people who desperately want to be funny and go about it all wrong. Um, and those people, I think, can be saved, you know, with some direction and some education. But man, I don't know to tell you the, the people you meet who are honestly just humorless. I, it's just they're aliens to me. I don't get. I don't understand it. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of that movie. I can't remember what it was. And John Cleese, and he introduces this guy. Said, "Yes, this is my lawyer. He was born without a sense of humor." Um, <laughs> <clears throat> remember that? Okay. So, what about comedy and copywriting? You know the the. Uh, General rule, well, the general rule in the kind of ads we see on TV, the image institutional advertising is always try and do something funny. Doesn't mm. really matter if it has a thing to do with what you're selling. And mm -hmm. then the general rule with direct response is never use humor. Um, mm -hmm. Claude Hopkins said people do not like to buy from clowns. Money speaking, money speaking, money spending is a serious business. Yet, there, there are ways to make humor work, right? And yep. maybe not everyone can do it, and maybe you need to know the rules, and maybe you need to have someone like you look over it. But, but talk about that, if you would. Yeah, I, I've really thought a lot about this, especially in the last year, and I've, I've sort of identified some guidelines. Uh, so let's look at our offers and our markets in three different zones, a, a, a green, a yellow, and a red zone. Uh, a red zone is the most severe problem that needs to be solved. I call it a, a, a life-stopping problem, meaning you just received a diagnosis from the doctor that just changed your worldview and nothing else matters until this becomes, gets fixed or addressed. We've both been through that, haven't we? We have. It's right. And it's not a lot of giggling. You're certainly not looking for a clown to sell you that cure. Um, uh, it, it could also be somebody comes home to an empty closet and a, I'm leaving you a uh, note on the bed. And, and so those are typically uh, markets where there's probably not a room for humor. As a, as a quick aside, my friend Jim Brewer is so amazingly funny and such an, uh, has such an amazingly big heart that he has a, a, a rare exception that he can take you through something incredibly serious and sad and make you spit laughing about it. He did it with, uh, he documented the end of his father's life and their relationship and what it was like to, to have his dad living with him. His wife, sadly, is now battling breast cancer, but, but they have made uh, videos of him joking with her and giving her a hard time. Like, she's coming back from a round of chemo, and she could barely hold her head up, and he's going, yeah, this is really interrupting my day. I had <laughs> a lot of stuff I needed to do, to <laughs> and, she, and, and she'll just work up a little laugh, and people see that, and they say, 
they write to them and they say, thank you for, because that's exactly what it's like, you know, and thank you for helping us laugh. But Jim is just otherworldly with his abilities. Now, the yellow zone, the green zone is, it's a product that solves a very low stakes problem and at the hands of a moderately skilled humorist can have a great impact. A great example is Dollar Shave Club. We're solving the problem of paying too much for razors. No one's waking up in the middle of the night pissed off about this. But the minute you hear that there's an alternative... Oh, you don't you- know some of my cheap friends. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But, you know, so he was able to change his life and the change the entire industry in a, in a two minute, very well done, very funny, but also very cheap video. Uh, and so that's a green zone. Yellow zone is where most of us live, right, David? Uh, we're talking about problems that people, it is on their list of things to, to solve, uh, but you can put it off without life being interrupted too hard. And when you're in the yellow zone, you can certainly uh, have a, a, a humorous approach, but you better have uh, either a good relationship with your list or you've got to really commit to it. And people need to see your humanity come through the humor. It can't just be condescending or or super edgy, right? So That's so good. So there, I think there's like two kinds of, of humor, right? Maybe there's, there's punching down where you make fun of, of somebody from a position of arrogance or power. Not so good, right? And, and then there's this vulnerability humor where you talk about the human condition and, and your own situation, observational humor, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what you're talking about, right? Exactly right. Yeah. If, if, if someone, and, you know, to some degree, you can do the punching down if, you're, if your own personal pain is, is skillfully displayed. I think of a guy like Jim Jeffries. You know who he is as a comic? Uh, incredibly filthy, incredibly funny. The th- the reason, uh, just so offensive, and the the reason he gets away, or, or Bill Burr, I think is the same. I love him. I love now, Bill Burr. I mean, these are guys that you have empathy for, right? You, you, they talk as much about their their own problems and their own shortcomings. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm I'm referring to about yeah. a lack of arrogance or mm-hmm. or a lack of power. I mean, you're only. Okay, there's some modern theories that true power is vulnerability and transparency, but I'm, I'm, you know, I was born in a command and control era, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so what I I look at is sort of dictatorial power, or you know, a a position where, you know, someone is sort of sneering, looking down their nose at someone else, which is a different kind of humor, a yeah. different kind of humor for punching down than what you're talking about. You're, you're talking mm-hmm. essentially about something that generates a bond of empathy and familiarity, maybe some sympathy even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, e- even if it's a little risque or something you wouldn't repeat to all your friends <laughs> or is not safe for work, right? And But the reason you are, in, in most cases, although this is becoming less common, uh, able to laugh at it, even though you do find it a little offensive, is because you believe in the person and that they're being completely honest with you. And that vulnerability is what wins the day. I never thought they would legislate laughter. 
Uh, but you know, these things always start at the universities. You know, almost every mm-hmm, new idea mm-hmm. does in our society, and they're starting to. Right there are, are certain kinds of jokes that are called. Mm. Wait for it. Microaggressions. I mean, <laughs> mm, it's wow. really freaking bad. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe it won't take over, but it worries me. It's worrisome because it says a lot about where we are in humanity right now. The fact that we can't laugh, can't laugh. Thing. It, 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 maybe maybe things have been just so imbalanced for a while that there needs to be a, a pull set a little further than logic would dictate on the other side. But I sure hope we come back to the middle sooner than later because it's it, it sucks to get hissed at when you're just trying to <laughs> to uh, share a moment, you know. And and I'll tell you, as a comic coming back now in these political times compared to when I was doing it as a living, uh, it's that is the big difference is that you, you just can't throw something out offhandedly and have it be okay. It, it, it really is a touch and go moment. I just wanted to tie in this back to um, copywriting. Uh, recently, this uh, legislation of laughter has actually kind of trickled in to advertising in the UK. They just passed a, or announced that they're about to pass a bill that you're not allowed to enforce gender roles in your advertising anymore. You're not allowed to, uh, if you're advertising a, uh, a feminine product, you're not allowed to explicitly make it a feminine product. And so it mm. is, like David said, it starts in the universities. It does seem like some of these overly politically correct ideas are kind of spilling into um, our niche as well. What are they going to do? Say our tampons are so flexible, men can use them too. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. We're not. We're not saying who gets periods. We're just saying if you happen to have a period. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, no, this is a great, great example, Nathan, and and that's really scary when you think about it. Um, and 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 I'm I'm not I'm not. This is not the point of view of oh well, they're going to be regulating political advertising on Facebook. The government censors are coming in. I think that's probably like semi okay. You know, mm-hmm. you sort of want to know where this stuff comes from. I, but what you're talking about, Nathan, it gets gets right down to everyday conversation. Well, oh, and of course, there's this whole gender pronoun thing where people are, you know, subject to possible legal or job penalties if they don't use the right pronoun. I still haven't figured out how that works, by the way, because there's only one pronoun I use when I'm talking to someone, and that's you. And but anyway, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, and, and let's let's get back to comedy. This is way too serious. Yeah. Um, it's, and but it, it 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 is important, you know. It's a factor for sure, yeah. And yeah, I I, I know. Yeah, go ahead. I'll let us move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, what would you say are the things you learned in comedy, um, other than <laughs> to get paid better, um, <laughs> that uh, you're using as a copywriter, even if it's not directly related to humor? Oh yeah. Well, some of the innate things that I was able to carry over and since sort of explore better are, you know, things like, uh, winning attention. Right. And, uh, so pattern interrupts are very much a part of, of comedy. Misdirection is something that, uh, we, we can use in both formats very well. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, I I have a little formula I could also share quickly 
that really transcends both, and I call it punch counterpunch. And it, it goes like this: you uh, you you uh, lay out a a premise where there's overall a, probably a pretty commonly held belief around it, and then you establish your authority on the topic. And once you've done that, you are now allowed to introduce a new way to think about that concept or that belief in a way that is very influential. Okay, so. As I described that, David, we think, well, that's sort of copywriting 101, right? That is always our goal is to say, we know it's like this, but what if it could be like this? But I never recognized it in comedy until I watched my friend Danny Bevins, who's just one of the best, and he is a master at this. And he has a great joke that he calls Florida Man. And the joke is, it starts out, he's talking about people in Florida and where, you know, kind of the laughing stock of the nation. And it's gotten to the point where there are memes where, you know, in a Twitter account where anytime something goes wrong, it's, you know, this guy in Florida or something in Florida. And he says, well, look, so his argument then is, he goes, look, I'm, I'm third generation native Floridian. He goes, okay, I get invited to the executions. <laughs> he, goes, he, he goes, I have a punch card. He goes, one more and I get to pull the lever. <laughs> and, so it's, and so now he's established his authority to have an opinion on this, right? And then he goes into this great uh, sequence about the people who make the news and make Florida look bad, they're never from Florida. Casey Anthony's from Ohio, right? The guy, the guy in the bath salts who ate the homeless guy's face is from Haiti, you know? And so, and, and it's all of a sudden you just watch the crowd go, yeah, you're right. Hey, wait a minute. We're getting, you know, and it's just, it's, it's brilliant. And it's the exact same thing that we do in, in our copy punch, counterpunch, uh, meet them where they are in their belief, establish your authority as someone who can offer an alternative idea, and then, you know, fortify that idea with proof and everything else. And boom, now you've got, uh, that's that's persuasion, right? That's awesome. I mean, at, at the risk of ruining your name for it, maybe it's punch, establish authority, counterpunch, right? I mean, that's, those are the actual steps, yeah? Yeah, you're right. There is a third step, in, uh, second step in there, correct, yeah. That's, that's really, everyone listening, you know, unless you're driving or something, write that down because, yeah, I've never heard anyone talk about that before. Kev. I instantly recognized it, but it's one of those things that I've never heard articulated. So just want to point out how valuable it is. Thank and you. If it works in more than one field, it's even more valuable. There's some universal power to an idea like that. Right on for sure. Well, we're, we're running out of time. What, what are your final uh, thoughts to uh, leave us laughing or crying or horrified or, or, or whatever. <laughs> well, I'll say that if, since we've been talking about comedy and in the marketing world, um, I, I definitely uh, welcome people to experiment with humor in their marketing. And a couple of things to, to as a safeguard is that you can totally practice this for free on your iPhone with video. It is safer to do with video because people can see your face and they can catch your wink, which very often gets lost in text. Um, and there, use some of the formulas I talked about here and just noodle with the concepts. Uh, we, in the, in the 4P formula, David, 
we did a fun thing. We have a, a, a humor call, uh, or a, a training called How to Be You But Funny. And <laughs> in the training, we point out that there's this pattern and we found in some TED Talks where the speaker will use the first three parts of the formula, but they never go for the fourth P, which is the punchline, right? And if they would just go for the punchline, they would win the crowd over in such a more dynamic way that they'd really have full reign over after that. But instead they play it safe and they don't want to risk not looking smart. So get over your bad self. I, I got your next product already lined up there. Ted talks, it. but funny. Eh? I love it. Yeah. Ted, but funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's, that's really good. Yeah. I, it does take some courage. Um, but you know, if you're going to be a copywriter, you've got to be willing to have things not work out. And if you need to call it failure, call it failure, but don't call yourself a failure. I'm sure you know this, Kev. I certainly have seen everyone I know who's successful has gone through a lot of tests that didn't work out, failures, embarrassments, frustrations, even sometimes when they wanted to give up, but they didn't. So same thing with com with comedy, with humor. Yeah, absolutely. You got to be, is again, it's that vulnerability. People will forgive you. Just don't do it publicly, right? You know, uh, th there's, there's some great examples of some big failures that could have been avoided you know, emails that went out with a really tasteless joke. And when you see that uh, and you examine those instances, you'll always see that th the real intention was not on display. So it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier, David, if you're, make sure that within the context of your humor, that your true character is on display and you, sh you you'll be forgiven for any little foibles at that point. Well, that sounds good. Kevin, I cannot thank you enough uh, for this and, of course, for the one last week on uh, going pro. You know, uh, as, as you mentioned, I don't have other people often on my podcast, but when I do, I hope that they can reach the level of Kevin Rogers. <laughs> well, I sure appreciate it. You're an inspiration to me, David, and uh, it's been a total honor to spend time with you. And you too, Nathan. Thank you. Uh, Kevin, where can people go if they want to check out more of your work and find out more about CopyChief? Yeah, CopyChief.com. And if you land there and just see the waitlist option, scroll down to the bottom and you'll see more menu options. You can see the blog. Oh, here's something really cool. We have an app that I'm really proud of. We put a lot of work into it. It's a really nice uh, functional app. Uh, feel wherever you get apps, you can search for Copy Chief, and you can get all the podcasts. will load up there, and you can listen to it uh, right on the right in the app, uh, even when your phone is off. Uh, all the blog posts are there, and if you are a member, of course, you can scroll the members area and get all the trainings right inside the app. So, yeah, just come check out Copy Chief. I'd love for you to hear the podcast, and uh, you know, if it makes sense, let's uh, let's let's get naked. You've got a copy chief app. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now I'm jealous. Now I'm really jealous. But also grateful. I really do appreciate your being here. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys. Thank you so much. This has been a fantastic conversation. Head on over to copychief.com. Check out more from Kevin Rogers. Also head over to copywriterspodcast.com and get more episodes of this here podcast. And until next time, we'll see you later, copywriters. Hi, everyone. If you found this show valuable and you'd like to get it in the ears of other people, the best way to do that is to subscribe, 
rate, and review it on iTunes.